So, welcome back to the Private Practice Pro podcast series. And in this podcast, I'm going to cover the misconceptions and pitfalls around starting any healthcare business or private medical practice. I think it's worth saying that I think private medical practice is a very positive and productive part of your medical career. And for too long, it's been a bit of a sort of secret that you have to hide from your colleagues. And many doctors have been living sort of parallel lives, working in the NHS for a couple of days a week as a GP and doing something else sort of perceived on the side or in the shadows, rather than it being really quite integrated into your overall practice. I think the concept of whole practice appraisal has sort of broken that down and I think it's really important as a doctor that you really view your practice as a whole practice and not two separate or three separate mini jobs. So I think there are really three key misconceptions that I think you should consider and I'm going to try in a little bit explain how these misconceptions act as barriers to being successful or even just starting uh, or having the courage to get going and I'm going to try and give you some simple practical tips really and advice to sort of overcome them and avoid the common pitfalls that result from them. So the first misconception that I think really everyone has is that you just don't have enough time and I really felt like that for many many years. And to be honest, still do a little bit at times. I think this is the barrier that really doesn't exist. And you may say, well, I don't agree with you. But people assume that if you do private work or try and set up a private service as a GP outside of your NHS time, it's going to involve so much time and probably evenings and weekends and You're just not going to be able to do it because you're chained to a specific job plan that your NHS practice or trust, which you just can't control or negotiate. And I think the clue is in that last word, negotiate. It is just simply not true that your job plan or job is fixed. It is your choice to work the hours and structure that you do. In addition, many doctors also make the mistake, and I think perhaps hospital consultants are most guilty of this, that when they start pursuing some private work, they cast their net really widely, running around two or three different hospitals or clinics. Similarly, a GP doing locum sessions, which in a way is additional private work, if you think about it, doing loads and loads of different locum sessions in lots and lots of different clinics or working three sessions on a Saturday doing out of hours an urgent walk-in centre and something else is kind of a recipe for bad medicine and probably for risk. If you arrive late to your session or late to an evening clinic and you're shattered from the previous day's surgery in the NHS or the day's NHS work in hospital medicine it's the quickest way to ensure that anyone you see never wants to see you again. Now, it might not matter if you're doing a locum work. It may not particularly um, be important um, how you build a big rapport with patients, but your reputation as a locum and your credibility as a doctor and your professional credibility 
is just as important, even if you're a locum GP, as it is if you're a hospital consultant doing private work. The other thing is you kind of really resent having to sort of drive in the rain at night to see two patients on a Friday evening. And I can guarantee you'll switch off from the idea of private work or additional locum work or setting up a private GP service or running a skin clinic uh, very quickly when you don't enjoy the process. You'll see it as a sort of a chain around your neck and actually you'll dread doing it because you think I don't have to do this, I really don't want to do this. So you've really got to work smartly and think smartly and spend your precious time very, very efficiently. And my advice to people starting either as an additional locum work following a salary GP post or setting up a private medical practice as a consultant is keep it really simple. Choose one place to work if possible, i.e. a regular locum session or a regular private clinic and get it right there. Build your systems, your processes, your um, terms and conditions and working things if you're a uh, locum and get it really really right first time and you'll be well regarded and you can build from there. So let's give you a bit of an example. Say you're a endocrinologist, you're a hospital doctor and you've got a research interest in diabetes and you work in a pretty big hospital and actually what you really want to do as a newly appointed consultant is work half a day a week in private practice and also because of your research you, you found a company developing an amazing new piece of kit and testing for glucose monitoring. Now you arrive at your hospital, realise that the job plan that was in the advert bears no resemblance at all to what you're doing and you immediately sign up for all sorts of additional responsibilities because you're the new person on the block and your programmed activity for private work is just simply not recognised or even supported at all in your job plan. So what's going to happen? You're immediately going to migrate into evenings and weekends and you're going to do this sort of quietly you're not really going to talk about it you're going to try and sort of compensate by doing the things that you really want to be doing like meeting the lab team or writing research papers or meeting the company uh, rep to trial their new kit and you're going to do all of that out of hours and out of sight what's going to happen you're going to do it badly you're not going to do it for very long and you're going to become really disillusioned really quickly so why does this actually happen? You've got to realise that an NHS trust is like any other organisation. They just want value and productivity from you. So you've got to give it to them. They don't actually care about your ambitions or your dreams. All they care about is that you're seeing 20 patients in every clinic. In fact, you kind of want to do this because you're passionate about the NHS and you care for your patients and actually a pretty busy NHS clinic can be incredibly rewarding providing it's balanced by other things. You've got to remember you're in control of your time and you have choices. You're choosing to follow this work pattern according to the job plan. However, Job plans are not set in stone and can be negotiated and you have the choice to change it. So what could you do as this endocrinologist? So I would ask for a job plan review and prevent a present a solution to the problem. Not complaining about how unfair it is, but how can you deliver the NHS productivity while still negotiating and making time for your private practice? So you've got to think smartly. Is there an effective research and development lead? Could you form a collaborative link from the company to the hospital 
Could you set up an innovation hub within your hospital? Are there grants that you could apply for to fund this job plan change? Could you make a business case for a specialist nurse to take up some of the routine work? So by using positive engagement, being honest and very transparent about your aims and creating that space around yourself, it'll go a long, long way. You need to push back and deliver your NHS commitment effectively and efficiently and probably differently if you really want to create the space and time for your private practice. If you really want to reduce your NHS PA commitment, you've got to be very honest and open about that. And you've got to come to the table with a plan for your NHS department, which broadly maintains productivity. If you take control of the conversation and you present solutions, not complaints, and you work smartly, you can actually release the time you want to develop your private practice. And start it in a small way. Don't ask for too much. Ask for a little bit, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. And all the time your hospital's doing well, you are doing well, the things that you're doing outside of the hospital reflect well on you and the hospital, and your patients are benefiting from your expertise and great medical care. So, what's the second misconception? The mis second misconception I think is really quite prominent is that it won't, it'll cost too much, and it'll cost a lot to set up a private medical practice. And it might mean, you know, employing a secretary, you've got to do advertising, presumably you've got to do marketing. And actually, you know, the sort of running costs initially are going to be just too much and not worth it, particularly if it doesn't work out for you. Again, really, that's a very old fashioned way of looking at it. And it simply isn't true. It still really actually amazes me that many of my colleagues still employ a full time or shared secretary who's sort of poised by a phone. And it's often a mobile phone, actually. And I find patients ring a number, they'll leave a message, and then they'll play this game of telephone tennis over the course of the day. And that same secretary will be spending most of her day or his day typing letters and invoices on really nice Conqueror cream paper, while your patients have no way of actually rapidly booking an appointment to see you. You've got to remember, guys, the world has changed, I'm afraid. Cloud phone technology, chatbots, virtual PA services, modern practice management software, the list goes on. You can actually have a sort of 8am to 8pm service for a couple of hundred quid a month if you're prepared to spend a little of time at the beginning setting up the flows and processes. Technology actually doesn't need Friday off or Christmas off and actually doesn't mind if they get replaced, so you've got to use it. In the course, we're going to show you exactly how to do this. Finally, the third and final misconception I kind of wanted to cover today was that it's not really worth it anymore because there's this perception that the fees you get from insurers or you know patients can see a GP for 35 quid, it's so low, it's not really going to add up, is it? Um, the insurance companies are paying less and you know you can see a, a, an online GP from one of the big online providers for around 35 pounds. So how the hell do you compete with that? I think you've got to really think about your value, and trust me, it can be extremely profitable. Many surgeons, particularly consultant surgeons, pride themselves on sort of refusing to engage with insurers to try and protect this sort of initial consultation and follow-up fee and their surgical fees, and they don't even bother to maintain their online presence and particularly uh, 
their Bupa Finder profile. And this is a huge opportunity because you know the Bupa Finder, which is how people find specialists, works by prioritizing fee-assured specialists. So these consultants are going to see a lot of new patients and that's going to result in a lot of fees even if they're lower. Simple as that. Let me give you an example of that. If you're a consultant, it's a hell of a lot better, isn't it, to see eight new patients in a tightly and efficiently run clinic from 8 till 12 a.m. that's always fully booked than it is to see five patients with gaps at a slightly higher rate. The conversion to what you want, which is operations, is going to be higher because you're seeing more patients. Once you've got a predictable full clinic, you've got a predictable income, and then you start to be able to plan your business, invest in marketing, take on staff, put other clinics on, hire an associate, and you can then develop sort of business plans, models, and actually plans for your family, knowing that there is a predictable cash flow in your business. One of the hardest things initially in private practice is sort of the boom or bust, where you know, you're busy for a bit, then it dries up, you're not quite sure where the next paychecks coming from and your NHS salary starts to not cover all the things you've started to spend your money on like private school fees. So once you've got regular full clinics by being fear assured and by being mainstream those new patients will come back to you for the rest of your career and that overall value actually is far higher than a one-off higher charge. So engage with insurance providers provide consistent, high-quality care, and collect feedback. Much better than being an outlier. Patients want to see busy doctors. We've all seen people arrive when you see one of the consultants reading the paper in the reception of the hospital, and it's so embarrassing. You know he's not busy, and he jumps up with his patient arrives. Think about that. You want to be appear busy. You want to be, be, be busy, and patients like to see busy people. If you look at the uh, GP side of things, I think actually many GPs just really undervalue themselves. And they charge fees comparable to seeing uh, a physiotherapist or a nutritionist. And these guys are doctors and often experienced doctors. And they feel that they have to immediately refer patients on to a specialist. So for GPs in private practice, you really need to think about the value you're giving. A patient with, for example, a simple urine infection who need, say, a urine test and a prescription should be seen really quickly and pay the bare minimum and have a great experience. And when they do, they'll give you feedback and they'll be your patient for life. And that same patient will then come back and undertake a really detailed health assessment, have a full medical, embark on a journey with you to reach their health goals. Their overall package of care is worth far more than the initial cheaper episode of care. By creating a lifelong patient, you're creating an asset of significant value. And that's one of the really unique things about medical practice, or even being a chiropractor or a physiotherapist. Once you've got that traction and that regular cohort of people with sports injuries or sore knees or sore backs or skin care, they're going to come back again and again and again. So the other thing to say about general practice or anything else really where you can do tests is you really need to look beyond consultation fees and you've got to own the whole pathway. Particularly things like blood tests, vaccinations, smears. 
My analogy is like a restaurant where most of the money is made on the wine list, not the food. So don't overcharge for simple care or undercharge for complex care. I hope that's been useful. So to recap, private practice is really rewarding, exciting, and it's a productive part of your medical career. It doesn't need to take up your evenings and weekends. You need to make time by working with your NHS trust, providing solutions, not complaints, and being efficient and organized with your time. I think the upfront setup costs can be really, really low, and actually we cover this in detail in the course. For example, building a website for a couple hundred quid yourself to start with. You can start up really cheaply and effectively using technology to reduce your administration and to automate large parts of your practice. And finally, of course it can be financially rewarding, providing you spend your time effectively and that you understand the value of that time and focus on where your profits are really, really made. So I hope we've covered a few things that are useful today and I would really love you to visit the website or even sign up for the course and join our Private Practice Pro community. In the next podcast, we're going to cover other things around balancing your NHS and private care. And I'm going to give you some tips and tricks about how to achieve that balance and look at the scope of your practice to keep it really simple, enjoy what you're doing and avoid conflicts of interest. Look forward to seeing you there and thanks so much for tuning in. Stay safe. See you soon. Bye.